Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Advent, uh, Advent is a noun that simply means the arrival, it should say of, the arrival of a person or event. And uh, as Christians, we, we have this like church calendar that we rehearse every year. Uh, we know that Jesus did come 2,000 years ago, but every December we rehearse that longing and waiting for the Messiah to come. And we spend uh, about four weeks just looking at the longing, the expectation, the, the hope, the prophecies of the Messiah to come. Because for 2,000 years, uh, before the 2,000 years ago that Jesus came, people were longing and hoping for the Messiah to enter in. And this year, we're going to be doing a series called uh, Behold, Believe. And we're going to play a video right now just so you can get a preview of that. Barbara Brown Taylor said, The parts of the Christian story that had drawn me into the church were not the believed parts, but the beholding parts. seemed to depend on beholding things that were clearly beyond belief. While I understand both why and how the early church decided to wrap those mysteries in protective layers of orthodox belief, the beliefs never seized my heart the way the mysteries did. So throughout the different stories and the different gospels, there are all these times that the angels show up or that God speaks, and it, the, the, the word to the person listening isn't believe, it's behold. In other words, take it all in what's happening. And today, we're going to be starting off this series with Behold Emmanuel, or God with us, from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. You can go back one slide. Uh, Chris Curtis Jessica's husband, who shared a minute earlier, Chris is going to be preaching for us this morning. Uh, Chris is a hospice chaplain. He basically, you heard him share a couple weeks ago that he works with people that are at the end of their life as a minister of the gospel. It's a very challenging job. It's a job that brings light into darkness. And I asked him to come and preach this morning from Matthew 1 on Behold Emmanuel. So let's welcome him as he comes up. I want to pray for him, and then we'll turn it over to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for Chris. Thank you um, that you have come near. We pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word, that you'd be with Chris as he gives us your word, and that we might be changed forever uh, from what we hear this morning. We thank you for your grace and your spirit and your love. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I am uh, happy to be up here. A little bit uh, out of sorts. I'm usually, you know, 
taking a deep breath, sigh, relief, having gotten the kids out into children's ministry or, or wrestled them out into children's ministry and then got an opportunity to come back and, and, and settle down here. But um, I'm happy to be here with you this morning. I hope that everybody is still sort of uh, relaxing from the, the holiday time that we've had. I know there's lots of eating during this time of year. My wife uh, cooked a turkey. I don't know if everybody did the traditional thing. We did the traditional thing. My organization gave us like a 22-pound turkey. Uh, so everybody in, in, in our company gets these turkeys. I'm, I go pick them up, and they're like, there's literally like hundreds of turkeys being picked up. And we cooked one of those and had some new friends over and got to share the holiday together. Hopefully you all were able to share some of that time with uh, people that you love. And maybe, maybe you're still enjoying the aftermath of that. Maybe you're still enjoying some of that time, so that, that would be great. Uh, but most importantly, I hope that you were able to all take advantage of those great Friday day savings, right? The, the, the Black Friday day. Is that what it's called? Black, Black Friday, not Black Friday day day. But Friday day, uh, Black Friday. And um, that's, what, that's what it's all about, right? And then Cyber Monday, that's right, thank you. That's what it's all about. Thanksgiving is all about getting those good deals. Not really. It's not really about that. I have a little holiday righteousness, and so sometimes it bubbles up inside of me and pours out. You guys get to hear about how my holidays are better, and I'm more righteous than, than others. So all, all joking aside, I am happy to be here, and I'm hopeful that you guys are enjoying your time off. Uh, as Pastor John mentioned, my name is Chris Curtis, and my family, you've met some of them already. Jessica was up here just a little while ago. We've been attending New City for just about a year now. And uh, we have three kids, Caroline, who's six, Julia, who's four, and Cameron, who's three. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord, we have children's ministry because they're all in that ministry right now. And uh, everybody should be thankful that my three kids are in children's ministry right now. More than Monica should be saying amen to that, absolutely. I'm going to give you just a brief background of, of my life. Just a couple snapshots because I know that even though I've been here for a year, there's many people sitting here today that I don't know all that well. You don't know me all that well, and so I'm going to take this opportunity to share a little bit about who I am and about our family. I grew up in a small town uh, in southern Illinois, just outside St. Louis, Missouri, right along the Mississippi River. And uh, I was the middle child. There was two girls and me, so I was the only boy. Uh, that got me a lot of favor, being the only boy in the, in the family. But as I grew up in that little southern town, I, um, I thought my life was like the, the American dream. I thought it was perfect. My dad would go off to work every morning and come home back at five-ish. Mom stayed at home, and she would cart the kids around to school, pick us up, and then take us to our various activities and things like that. And then in the evenings, every night, we sat around the, the dinner table together and had a meal as a family. And on Sundays, we would attend church together. And at holiday times like this, we would go to family that were local or family would come to us. And I just thought, this is the life. It was, um, it was the perfect situation, or so I thought. Sometimes in the summers, my mom and dad would cart me off to my grandfather's. I never went to uh, camps or anything like that. I guess it was cheaper to send me over to grandpa's house for a few weeks during the summer. And so I would do that. And uh, one summer when I was 11, my mom called me while I was there, and she told me that her and dad were getting divorced. And so a couple weeks later, she came to pick me up. We took a drive to the courthouse where uh, I was moved from mom's car with my two sisters into dad's car, and, and we took off for dad's new condo. And uh, my perfect American life 
soon came to an end. Not too long after that, dad remarried and then mom followed suit. And so we had the step-parents thing going on. High school came and went and any sort of spirituality that had been started in my life at a young age was so far now in the rearview mirror that I couldn't see it any longer. Sometime later in my life, I decided I needed to get out of this small southern town and uh, I needed to move. I needed to spread my wings. I needed to become a man and figure out life on my own. And so a couple of my friends and I decided we were out of there. We were going to move to Tampa, Florida. And so that's what we did. But uh, despite all the plans that I had to become a man and to figure out life on my own, God had a different plan uh, for me. And namely, he began to draw me to himself. And 20 years ago, in the spring of 1999, while I was living in Tampa, I became a Christian. Shortly thereafter, I moved to South Florida. I moved to uh, Miami. And then a couple years later, God uh, showed me this little blonde Arkansas girl, and uh, she, uh, she decided I convinced her to marry me, and now that's been 14 years since that's happened. Yeah. And uh, seven years into that marriage, Jess and I decided we were going to uh, start the adoption process, and that led to one, then two, then three little ones. And uh, so now here we are. Our little small version of God's blended family brought into a little bit bigger version of God's blended family a, lot, a little bit over a year ago. And uh, for our family, this experience of being here at this church has been better than we could have ever asked for. Life is hard. Life is hard for our family. And uh, this church has been a huge part of the help that we need as we go through life together. Uh, and so we're so thankful to be here and be a part of this church. Uh, you know, some of the help that we need is, uh, is in the area of parenting. When we became parents, it was like the most beautiful thing that we could have ever done in, in our life. Uh, we love being parents. And at the same time, man, it is not just hard. I tell people parenting is impossible. Here's the task that you've been given, and it's impossible for you to do it. Uh, I often tell people I'm practicing parenting. John told you I work in, in the hospital, and, and there's doctors there, of course, practicing medicine. I go, hey, I'm practicing parenting, man. This thing is hard. And Jess and I, we try our best, and we, of course, we do everything that probably all parents do. We, we search for the right answers and the right tools and the right techniques. How do I get my kid to obey me? How do I get my kid to just listen? How do I get, get my kid to sleep through the night? All these things, and yet... One of them works for one of the kids, another won't work for another kid, and then the one day it works, the next day it doesn't work, and so it just, it's complicated and it's hard, and so we're so thankful that we have so many people speaking into our lives and, and helping in this area. It wasn't too long ago, just a couple weeks back, I was sitting at the dinner table with the two girls, Caroline, who's six, and Julia, who's four, and, and like most nights, they're just peppering me with questions. I mean, these girls... Once they get comfortable with you and start talking, it's like there is no off switch. And uh, this was just a regular night at the table, just nonstop talking and just peppering me with questions about what I do for a living, about what I did that day at work. As John said, I work as a chaplain in a uh, hospital here in Fort Lauderdale. And I see patients every day that have had either a life-changing diagnosis or an event that has you know, changed the trajectory of their life dramatically. And I also see patients that are receiving hospice care, and so they're right at the end of their life. And um, 
that night, the girls were asking me about some of my patients. And uh, so we were talking about those patients and the sick ones, the dying ones. And in the middle of that, Julia says, well, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Caroline immediately chimes in and she says, and I guess you think I'm going to hell. I know, it's just the average six and four-year-old conversation at the dinner table. Doesn't this happen at everybody's house with their kids? It's just a normal conversation, right? Why well, stop that conversation? Because I thought, man, I don't want them thinking or talking about hell in some sort of dismissive or silly way. Because for me, it's not silly or dismissive at all. Every single day, I'm staring at people that are right at the doorstep. Sometimes I'm walking them across the doorstep. And the idea, because I believe in a literal hell and heaven, and I believe that when we leave this earth, we are in one of those two places. Man, the idea that I'm standing there, sitting there with these patients, and they're walking across that threshold, that weighs heavy on me. That weighs heavy on me. And so, listen, I, I probably <laughs> I probably was projecting a little bit on my girls that, that night, but as I told you, I'm practicing parenthood. I'm trying to figure it out. And so I tell them, you know, listen, girls, hell is a real place, and it's awful. And as I say that, I, I wonder, like, how can I get my kids to understand this a little bit better? They're six and they're four. How can I get them to understand it so they don't have nightmares for the next two weeks? Or that I don't have to, you know, continue to fund their future counseling sessions? You know, I don't want to damage my kids. So I say to Caroline, I go, Caroline, what's the worst thing that you could think of that could happen to you? And this little six-year-old pauses and she thinks. She's like looking out, thinking, and she says, being separated from you and mommy and not being able to find you. She starts, <laughs> she starts crying. You know, she's like feeling the weight. And it like, it struck me how deep and how strong that emotion was for her. That's the worst thing the six-year-old could think of. Not having her source of security, not having her comfort, not having her love. The worst thing that she could think about was being alone. I think Caroline's fear is my fear. I think it's our fear. And I think our text this morning actually silences that fear. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read the text and, and get into see what God has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, help me. Lord, you know that uh, I need your help right now. I ask that, God, you be with me, and um, Lord, just use me. May it be clear May it be concise. May your word go forth and accomplish the thing that you intended it to accomplish. Unplug our ears and wipe away the scales from our eyes so that we can see you clearly. And Lord, soften our hearts so that we can receive you this morning. I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, our text is Matthew. It's the first gospel of the New Testament. It's chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read that with you. You read along with me. Not out loud, please. That'll distract me a little bit. I'm going to read it. You just follow along either on the board, on your device, maybe an old-fashioned paper Bible. I'm going to read out of the ESV. Listen, this is the very Word of God. This is the primary way in which God speaks to each and every one of us. And so I'm going to read it, and I just implore you to pay attention to what God has to say to us today. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word of the Lord. You know, throughout Matthew's gospel, when he wants you to really pay attention, he uses this word, behold. He says it over and over again. He says it twice in our text, and and, uh, he really wants to get you to pay attention to what's coming. And as I was thinking about this word and just kind of doing a little study on it over the week, I thought, it's kind of a funny word. Like, we don't really use it uh, anymore. Like, when's the last time you caught yourself saying, behold, and, and anything, right? I was wondering what that would look like in, in, in our settings these days. And maybe somebody could, could test it out this week while you're at work, you know? Like, you're in the office, and you're like, behold, I've completed my spreadsheet. Pay attention. <laughs> this is important stuff. Somebody should do that and then come back and report next week, like, how that, how that went. But really, all Matthew's doing and all the other writers that use this word throughout the text is saying, hey, wake up, pay attention, I got something to say. The, the next thing that you hear me say is really important. I want your attention on this. And in our reading, it shows up twice. Once when an angel shows up on the scene, and the other time when Matthew is actually quoting Isaiah. And, he's, and Isaiah had prophesied about the birth of the Messiah. And, and that's really the one I want to focus on this morning, that second one, the one in verse 23. More specifically, I want to look at a single word from verse 23, Emmanuel. It's a Hebrew name, and it shows up three times in the Bible, twice in Isaiah, and then this time here in, in Matthew as he quotes it. And Matthew does something that Isaiah doesn't. He gives us then the, um, the meaning of the name. He says, Emmanuel means God with us. And it's that framework, those three words, God with us, that I'm going to use this morning to just move us along the text. And so let's start with the first word, God with us. One of the big things that Matthew is doing throughout the gospel is he's trying to show that all the All the the prophecy of the Old Testament was pointing us towards a very particular person. All the prophecy about Messiah was being fulfilled by Jesus. Ever since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, God had been telling his people, I'm going to send one, one who's going to crush the enemy, and he's going to rescue his people from their sins. And the rest of the Old Testament is preparing us so that when the Messiah comes, we can see him. Like, the Old Testament prepares us when he shows them, like, oh, of course, there's Messiah. Right? We, we get images in the Old Testament, like when Abraham takes his son Isaac up that mountain, a three-day journey up the mountain. Right? And I, I, Abraham knows there's a death sentence on my son, and he journeys three days up that mountain, and he's told, sacrifice your son, your one and only son, your beloved son. We see Jonah, the, earlier this year, Pastor John took us through a series in Jonah. Jonah finds himself in the belly of the sea serpent for three days. 
All these images throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, getting us ready for the time when Messiah would show up. And then there's all the prophecy. The prophecy of when the rescuer would be born, where he would be born, uh, the suffering that he would endure, and then, of course, what we're looking at today, how that birth would be, how it would unfold. And what Matthew tells his reader is that this one, this Jesus, he is that rescuer. He is the foretold Messiah. But maybe he doesn't look the way you expected him to look. God didn't send just another prophet. He didn't send a new king. He didn't even send a new priest. God didn't send an ambassador on his behalf to speak for God. God did something incredible. He sent himself. He sent himself. This is a huge distinction in Christianity. It separates itself from all other religions. No other religion does this. You know, one of the things that I hear on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times in a single day, is that all religions are the same. I hear that every single day. Now, in, in my line of work, the people that I'm dealing with, you know, I, I don't argue about theology and their understanding of world religions in their situation, but the fact is they're, they're wrong, right? No other religion claims this. This is purely Christian. Matthew is saying that Jesus is God. And he's not the only one that makes that claim. Paul, in the book of Colossians, says the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. The writer of the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the exact representation of God's nature. And listen to what Jesus' enemies say about him in John 10, 31 through 33. John 10, 31 through 33, the text says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So we see that there are many accounts. These are just a a spattering of accounts where people are saying throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, Jesus is God. Now, many people say, well, that's fine. You know, we hear about this person or that person, Paul or Matthew or John, somebody, his enemies even saying, Jesus is God. What did Jesus say, though? Right? Jesus never claimed to be God. I've heard that many times. Perhaps you've heard it also. Well, what do you think just set off the enemies in, in the Scripture passage that we just read? In John 10.30, Jesus said, I am, the, I am the Father, are one. We are one. And it sets them off. They're like, well, that's it. It's, it's over. We're going to kill this guy. Blasphemy. He's making himself out to be God. In John chapter 4, Philip, one of the disciples, said, Lord, just show us the Father. And Jesus responds and says, Philip, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. And in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this is an interesting one for me. I love this one because the people that he's talking to, they're like, wait a second. Abraham lived some 2,000 years ago. What are you saying? You're like 2,000 plus years old? Like, that's ridiculous. And of course, Jesus is saying, I'm outside of this time construct that you work in. I'm outside of that. And then he ends with, I am. And this term was the trigger, I think, for the Jews, because that took him right back to the burning bush, 
where Moses is standing before the burning bush. He says, who, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. And so they're like, wait a second. This dude is making himself out to be God. He's claiming to be God. And so they got a decision to make. You and I have a decision to make. Do we believe these claims? Is Jesus really God in the flesh? Because, man, that's what the Bible says. And that's what Jesus himself is claiming. This is not just a normal good man. This is not just a, another prophet. It's just, it's, he is not just another good moral teacher. He doesn't leave that up to debate, to debate for you. It's not another Gandhi figure or a Mother Teresa figure. This is God in the flesh come to be with his people. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. And that brings us to our second word in the name Emmanuel, God with us. The with here points to a God who is a relational God, one who wants to commune with his creation. He didn't get the universe spinning, you know. He didn't throw the, the stars out there and, and populate this little uh, ball that we're on and say, okay, up to you guys, now I'm out of here. No, he spoke everything into existence and then he entered into our lives. At the very start, all the way back at the beginning of creation, we find God there in the garden with Adam and Eve. He knew them and they knew him. They were together in the garden. It was perfect. It was exactly the way God had designed. But after the fall, things changed. And when God shows up in the rest of the Old Testament, man, it's a scary thing. He shows up in a pillar of fire. He shows up in a pillar of smoke. He surrounds a mountaintop, and people are fearful of even drawing near that mountain. When he appears to Job, he's in a whirlwind. It's a fearful thing to come close to God. There's a story of Moses asking God, God, let me see you. I want to see you. And God says, no, you, you can't see me in my fullness and all my majesty. It'll crush you. It'll, it'll kill you. But God makes a deal with Moses. He said, I'll, I'll let you see just a little glimpse and so he puts him in a cleft on a, on a mountainside, and he says, I'm going to pass by, and when I do, I'll let you see just a little glimpse of me, just a taste what happens. Moses comes down from that mountain, and the people are like, I can't take, I cannot tolerate seeing you, Moses, because the little bit of glory that, that Moses got a glimpse of made his face so brilliant, so radiant, that the people are like, I can't tolerate it. Like, it's too much for us to bear. Made him cover his face up, right? until the glory would fade away. After the fall and before Jesus appeared, God showed up and it was terrifying. Why? Because God is a holy, holy, holy God. He is without blemish. He is without fault. He is without stain. It's far different from you and I, right? Now, we all will admit that to err is human, right? We all admit we make mistakes. You know, we're not perfect, but come on, nobody is. But I'm wondering if we were really honest with one another. If we really stopped and really took a look closely into the mirror and were honest with ourselves and honest with God, looked at ourselves and, and forget about the comparing ourselves to other people for a moment and just focused in on who we really are, what's really inside. I think if we're honest, we're going to find 
that things are a lot worse than we're willing to admit. I was watching one of those Marvel movies, you know, the superhero movies that are really popular uh, these days. I was watching one of those earlier in the week, and one of the characters was, was saying, I've got a lot of red in my ledger, and uh, I'm trying to get rid of that. And what she's saying is like, hey, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and they're all written down in red, you know. Everybody hates the color red, you know. I used to be a teacher, and uh, kids would hate it when I pulled out the red pen and started marking on their paper, right? And they, they knew, oh gosh, something bad's about to happen. But she says, I got a lot of red in my ledger and I want to get rid of it. And so for her context, she was thinking, now if I can kill all these alien bad guys and save the world again, then all that good would outweigh all the bad. It would wipe away that ledger of red. This isn't an uncommon feeling, is it? This isn't an uncommon thought. You know, most of the people that I talk to at work when I'm sitting down with a patient or I'm sitting down with their family, they think that when they die, that God is going to, if they believe in God, that God's going to receive them. They're going to be with God. And uh, they say the reason that they believe that is because they're pretty good people. I did a lot of good in my life, right? They have the idea that their good will outweigh their bad, right? They're working on this economy of my bad isn't as good bad as my good. I've got a lot of good. I've just got a little bad, and it's going to outweigh, and God's going to be okay. But that's not the way God works. God demands perfection. Matthew 5, 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, listen, if you've been tracking for the last couple minutes, listening to these details, I would guess that maybe there's a little sinking feeling in your stomach right now. Because maybe you're one of those people that were counting on that equation of good and bad, weighing it out, and my, my good's going to outweigh my bad. And now you find out, man, it doesn't work that way. And now you realize, well, I can't get rid of the red that's in my ledger. And if it's perfection that God demands, it's perfection that I cannot provide, then we're in big trouble, right? We're lost. We are lost. <clears throat> without hope of providing the, the thing that God demands. We cannot give Him the perfection that He demands, and thus we can't fix this problem that we have with Him. So what do we do? Can't do anything but God. Rich in mercy. But God, rich in mercy. He sees our condition. He knows they're lost without me. And so with the great love in which he loves us, he came to be with us. He came to be with us. He came to be with us as this vulnerable little baby that would one day grow into a man and experience all the things that we experience. He would endure the hardships that we endure. He knew what it was like to be thirsty and hungry. He knew what it was like to feel sorrow and pain, rejection and loneliness. And this is one of the most magnificent truths about Christianity, isn't it? And again, uniquely Christian truth. God not only comes in the flesh to be with us, but then he sets aside his glory and enters into the human experience. He was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. There's the perfection that we need. And you know what he does? He gives it to us. Here's my perfection for you so that your ledger can be made clean. He can clear all that red in our ledger. 
He did it by dying on the cross and taking the punishment that we deserve. See, Jesus came to be with us, and he went through all of that so that we could be with him. And that brings us to our third and final word in the name Emmanuel, God with us. Who is the us? The super moral people trying to work hard to appease God? No, obviously not. That's what we've been saying, you know, for some time now. That doesn't work. That's not the way God operates. So then who is the us? Let's go back and take a look at two of the us in Mary and Joseph. Who were these people? This is such a monumental task that they've been given. Certainly there was something unique and special about their lives that God said, I got to have them. Look, she's way smarter than any other girl in Nazareth, right? He's way more influential than any other guy here in town. They've got something special. But when we look at their lives, when we look at what's going on, we find out, man, they're just ordinary, ordinary kids. And, and Mary, in particular, a kid, right? Some people think that she's maybe as young as 13 years of age. Nothing mentioned about their families, no status, no, nothing significant, just two ordinary people. You know, God does this over and over and over again throughout Scripture. He takes ordinary men and women right where they're at, and he doesn't say, get your act together. Your life is a mess. Look at all the red in your ledger. This is a disaster. He doesn't say any of those things. He takes them right where they're at, and he uses them, and he does amazing things with them. The Bible makes it very clear. You can't get it together, so don't even try. And you don't have to get it together to be a part of the us. Right? The us are those who believe. That's something that Mary and Joseph had, didn't they? Both encountered an angel of the Lord and both received this unbelievable news. In our text, we hear that Joseph encounters the angel and and it says, listen, you're not going to divorce this woman. I know, it looks like she's been cheating on you, but you're not going to divorce her. You're going to stay with her. Now, imagine what that meant for both of them. Like in this little dinky nowhereville town of Nazareth everybody's going to know. Everybody's up in everybody else's business. And in this shame society, can you imagine the judgment and the shame, the loss of reputation, the loss of community that they must have endured, probably even the loss of income? What do they get for that? Given up everything, what are they going to get in return for their obedience? They got God with them. They got Jesus. That is their great reward, right? And this is the great reward for all who believe. We get God with us. You know, one of the cool things that Matthew does in his gospel is that he begins the gospel where we're at with, behold, God with us. And then he ends it the same way. Actually, Jesus says it. Behold, I will be with you. Take a look. Luke, uh, Matthew 28, 20 says it, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so you get this picture, right? Matthew's like, right at the beginning, God is with you. And right at the end, God is with you. And everything in between, God is with you. He's always going to be with you. The, uh, the great John Wesley, he's the guy who started the Methodist church. Right before he died, his last and final words were this, the best of all is God with us. 
You know, this time of the year, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. <clears throat> I feel like singing it, but I'm not going to. And, and it could be, right? It could be for some of us the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, man, it's painful. It reopens wounds, and it's a struggle just to get through this month. I serve as a chaplain for patients on hospice care. I serve for uh, patients that are about to be on hospice care, those folks that I mentioned before that have just been just suffering. But I also serve for the people that I work with. I'm a chaplain for my coworkers too. And over the last year, I've gotten to know one of them pretty well. Uh, Two years ago, this past October, her husband had passed away from cancer. And uh, for the last two years now, she's just been mourning his loss. And right before he passed away, her one and only son moved to Ohio. And so her son moves, starts his own life in Ohio. She's left here with her husband. And then a couple of short months later, he passes from cancer. And she's all alone. And she tells me, she reminds me about it all the time. You know, she walks into, as, as I do, we walk into patients' rooms all the time, cancer patients. And I just can't imagine the, the, the things that are brought up in her heart and in her mind, the suffering and the pain. And uh, she's trying to fill in, in, in the void. She's, uh, she, and she's doing it in a pretty good way. You know, she's trying to, she's joined a book club, she told me. She goes to bereavement groups. And uh, she tries to get out in nature with her friends and just enjoy the time. But you know what she tells me after every weekend we get back and she says, I did this or I did that. She goes, still lonely. Like it just doesn't fill it up, right? She's still wanting more. It's not satisfying her. And so I, I sit there and I wait and I hope that, man, one day I can tell her this message. One day she'll be receptive to hearing this message because she needs it. She needs to know that God wants to fill in the void. That God will meet her where she's at because he's known the loneliness. He's known the heartbreak. He's known the rejection. Everything that she's experienced and we've experienced, he knows it. And so I wait and I pray one day she'll hear this message and receive it. I think Caroline might have been right. My little six-year-old. It's an awful thing to be without the one who loves you, to be all alone. But that doesn't have to be you today. That doesn't have to be us. Because God has promised to always be with us. Maybe today, for the very first time, maybe today is like your behold day, right? Behold, God is in the flesh in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. He came to save you from your sins, and he offers it as a free gift. Today's your behold day, a story to be told later on. Behold, look what God did to me on this day, this first day of Advent, 2019. Man, if that's you, don't waste it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, right? It doesn't have to be a special day. We don't have to wait for Christmas. We don't have to wait for Easter. Today is the day, and there's going to be men and women in the back a little bit later when we get done wanting to pray with you, and don't let it pass you by. Don't let it pass you by. For those that are sitting here going, man, I've received Christ. I have Jesus in my life. What a great reminder, right? Because we get lost in the hustle and bustle of the day at work, and we go, man, I need God, and guess what? He's with you. He is with you. That's the promise, So when you're at work tomorrow, God is with you, right? And when you're in traffic, God is with you. And when you're suffering through figuring out parenthood, God is with you. And when you are in the hospital, God is with you.
right? And when you're just overwhelmed with whatever it is in your life, God is with you. That's a great promise for us today, a great reminder. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you so desperately, Father. We thank you for the great promise that you will be with us, that you will not forsake us and leave us alone. But Lord, you want to be in a relationship with us. Just think about how hard it is, how hard it was for me to accept the fact that you loved me, how hard it was for me to accept the fact that I had to give up all the things that were important to me to give you control because I didn't know if you would satisfy my desires. I didn't know if you would be there for me. But yet 20 years later, here I am before these people testifying to your goodness, testifying, Lord, that you have never left me. You've always been with me and you've seen me through the difficult times. You've seen me through the times where I was lonely and I didn't know Will I ever have anybody in my life? You were always there. And so I pray, Father, that you would break down the barriers and the walls of those that are sitting here going, I don't know if I'm ready for it. Lord, soften their hearts and and help them receive your free gift right now. And for the rest of us, I do pray, Lord, that this would be our double shot of espresso that would propel us into the rest of the day, the rest of the week, just giving us the fuel, the encouragement, knowing that you will be with us and you will journey through this life with us, never leaving us. Thank you for this great gift. May we all say one day at the end that this was the greatest of all things, God with us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.